I think that's the sound everybody's phone ma- makes now whenever anything remotely Twitterish happens. <laughs> hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Montreal Sauce, the show where we talk to creators, makers, and friends who are navigating our digital landscape. Boom. I'm Chris, and uh, I tend to start out the show with some random fact about me. Uh, my favorite uh, Chips character isn't Poncho John, it's Officer Grossman. Now you know. Uh, hey, <laughs> I don't do this alone. The Tom Hanks to my Peter Scolari is my bosom buddy, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi. I don't know any of those references. I know. I, when I wrote them, I was like, yay, 80s. And then I was like, <laughs> these are not going to go over for anyone. They're like, just for me. Yeah, I'm aware of the existence of all of those things. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I didn't really catch up with Tom Hanks until big. Right. Right. Um, tonight we have a special guest. He's one of the many amazing individuals I've met using Cupkick.io. He's a developer who knows, oh, so many crazy languages. I don't even know how to begin to list them, like <laughs> C++ and Objective-C and JavaScript and PHP and Go and English and Spanish and basic German and French. He loves music, bow ties, reading. Uh, I believe he's also the person who coined my favorite name for fans of this show, Sausages. So please welcome Mr. Arturo Vergara. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's okay. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I was Chief like, Sausage Arturo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sausage Vergara. <laughs> That's always so amazing when like you interact with people online for so very long and then marry them. Yes, this happened to me. <laughs> um, but that's actually a good point. Like my uh, wife's uh, pseudonym on the game that we played when we met before we ever seen each other or got married uh, was an Egyptian god's name or a king's name i i'm gonna be in trouble if she ever listens but, I don't know this. <laughs> but it's s-o-b-e-k-n-e-f-e-r-u and all my all our interactions i just i could spell that out for you but i had no idea how to pronounce it <laughs> It's just interesting when we when we communicate in these ways, and you don't have to actually. I'm I'm really bad with books too. I don't uh, I don't ever like if there's something I don't know how to pronounce in a book. I'm just like, huh, I don't know how to say that. I don't actually like look up the pronunciation. I don't. Know, I guess I guess most English speakers get a pass on that. Like people don't expect English speakers to pronounce things in other languages for some reason. <laughs> Is it English speakers or American English speakers? <laughs> American English speakers, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> nice. I, th- I think in Britain they do expect them to at least acknowledge that there are other languages a very short hop across the pond from them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the European Union. I mean, they yeah. have like French yeah. and German and stuff. And yeah. <laughs> yeah even though the english still refuse to use the uh the euro itself but yeah i guess that's a separate thing now you know where we get it from <laughs> <laughs> so uh yes uh your your uh accent um i guess maybe we should talk about that first like you're in new mexico is that correct right 
Yep, I'm in Mexico City. Um, sometimes I have bad English days and sometimes I have good English days. I hope this is a good English day for me. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I try to keep my accent as neutral as possible, but, you know, I'm obviously Mexican, so it, it sometimes comes through. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. So what... Um like whenever you're uh, communicating online, it's, you know, it's amazing. So I don't, I wouldn't even notice that it wasn't like your first language, but I mean, I guess it probably kind of falls into the, what I was just talking about. Like if you don't like speak English every day, it must be difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes you do get like um, out of practice, so to speak, because you, you don't get to practice it every day. Sure, but uh, yeah. I mean, at, le at least the spoken part for me—that's like the, the hardest part to keep in tune. Um, yeah, <laughs> but other than that, I mean, I think it, like my whole online world is entirely in English. Like, I read, I follow uh, people on Twitter that speak English for the most part, and you know, there's there's cupcake and programming is uh, mostly in a profession that you you have to carry out in English. Like, it, there's no, there's almost no. There are almost no resources for programming in Spanish. Yeah, I've actually, um, I've toyed around with like uh, some interactive fiction games and like there's tools like uh, Twine where you can like make your own like sort of interactive story for people to play, read. And um, there's another one, I think it's, I found it really awkward and it's only on uh windows but it's called um rags i think that's an acronym for something but it's a, a game engine and i remember playing an interactive story on there and the, like people were saying this doesn't work and you need to fix this and da, da, da. And, and it turned out that a lot of the stuff that didn't work in the game was because the original programmer i think was german and they don't use um periods for decimal points they use commas so when he programmed it <laughs> he used commas <laughs> that's a fun thing to try to have to re or to fix in your entire <laughs> script yeah it's it's kind of um it gets kind of awkward sometimes because for school i have to write programs sometimes Mm -hmm. And like I have to write variable names in Spanish and stuff, but because I'm so used to thinking in English when I'm writing code, that because I write all my code in English, all my code is in English. But like for when I, when I have to do um, projects for school for school and stuff, sometimes I it gets very very confusing because my program is basically in Spanglish. You know, half of my program is in English, and then the other half is in Spanish. <laughs> it's kind of weird sometimes. It re it reads like one of George W. Bush's speeches. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. Sorry, or like that not guy, very topical um, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or, or like that guy. Um, I think, I think Chris showed him to me, or I, was it Jonathan? I don't know Jonathan from Cupcake, by the way. Shout out to him, <laughs> who I think is in the in the chat room right now. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, this guy Rudy Mancuso from he's he's this Vine guy, this Vine star. I don't know if you've ever seen any of his vines. I have not. Oh, you should. They're super funny. He's this guy from Mexican Ascend, I guess you could, you could call it. And he he usually uh, talks in Spanglish with his mom. It's really funny. <laughs> uh, so did you, um, I don't know, it just came to me, but uh, 
did you go to like an English language high school? No. Um, okay. Ever since I was in like kindergarten and stuff, like um, it's like very in private schools, it's very important to learn English. So I've been having constant contact with English since I was like four, I don't know, or five. And um, I had this fabulous teacher from San Francisco who um, made me love books, by the way. <laughs> and um, yeah, she's one of the most fantastic teachers I've ever had. And she basically taught me almost everything I know about English. So yeah, but I was in elementary school. And then after elementary school, I also lived for a month in Ireland. So I went mm. there to sort of just like polish my English. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. It's great because when you said Ireland, it even snuck in a little bit there, like Irish accent. Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's fair. They roll their R's a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I was like. Hey, that's crazy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I was just asking because my um, my wife's a teacher. She has a friend who's working at like a British school, like in the Middle East. And I know that there's a, a lot of English language schools like that pop up in different countries. So I was just like, hey, I wonder if you went to one. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Mexico City, like that, I guess when I was writing my show notes and I uh, sent them off to you, I was like, that's really interesting to me because as uh, obnoxious American uh, travelers who are only focused on themselves, we always hit the like vacation spots. And I feel like we don't know much about like urban life or cities in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty chaotic, to be honest. <laughs> um is there is there like anything in particular that you want to know about? I mean, it's it's pretty, pretty. I don't know. It's really just bizarre, actually. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I was just figuring like it, it seems kind of ignorant to think like it would be any different than a normal urban uh, kind of a life, but also. I know that um, probably not a great uh, subject to hit on because of all the issues uh, that you have in Mexico. But I know, remember when you uh, when you were debating on going to like a political protest and things like that. So yeah, I guess there's a little more chaos. Oh yeah, it's it's very different from the vacation spots. Um, vacation <laughs> spots generally, you know, are very clean, very nice. Um, like we do have some nice areas in the city, but um, but yeah, sometimes there are some really bad neighborhoods. <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, political protests are like pretty much um, part of everyday life. Like you get, I don't know, we must have about like twenty protests a year. Which don't accomplish anything, by the way. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I don't know. Everybody is really crazy here. Like when they drive, they're just really aggressive, and they don't care about like civility or anything. <laughs> that seems to happen the more people you pack into a city, and I I feel like I mean, I I'm rusty on my whole world population thing, but I I know from. Uh, I remember from school, Mexico City is one of the most populous cities on the planet, um, and I think it has a big, larger population than any than any city in uh, in the United States. Um, so it's 
<laughs> when you when you push that many people together and you have and in some in some circumstances you have good social systems to take care of it in some circumstances you have not good social systems to take care of it and or corruption um it, it can cause i'm sure a, just a ton of chaos yeah 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 for sure i mean i think it's uh we're about 20 million people here um and i think it is i don't know if i think it's the second largest city in the world so it makes sense for sure that people are just like cranky all the time <laughs> <laughs> did you uh are you born and raised in mexico city or is mexico city a place that you have moved to yeah i was born here my mom was born here but my grandfather came from the northern states from ah. the state of Durango. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, most people who live here now go back like two generations ago or three generations ago, their families weren't here. You know, like the city had mm -hmm. this sudden boom, this sudden growth, uh, mm -hmm. sudden expansion some decades ago. Hmm. So this is just like out there, but uh, it was recent. So do you, does Mexico celebrate Halloween? <laughs> we do, actually. And Dia de some los people Muertos? Get... What? Is that what oh, it yeah, is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, but that's November the 1st and November the 2nd. But we actually do celebrate Halloween and some people get really mad about it because uh -huh. they don't, they say it's not a Mexican holiday. So, ah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, why yeah. the hell are we celebrating it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually, I've been here for like a couple years now. And then like when it was Halloween, I was like, hey, why does Canada celebrate Halloween? <laughs> and my wife's like, um, that's an interesting question. I mean, she, she went into the whole like it's Hallow's Eve because the next day yeah. is All Saints Day thing. And ah. she's like, but you're right. It's a North American holiday because when I taught like in England, like they don't they don't do it. That That's the thing. And I was like, oh, it's a North American holiday. So then when we started talking to you, I was like, hey, <laughs> you're on this continent. Is that a, is that a holiday <laughs> for you too? Crazy. Yeah, but. Doesn't it come from Ireland, though? Like, I, I thought it came from Ireland. Really? Yeah, I, I think so. I don't know. I mean, that that could very well be, like, the the sort of All Saints Day and that kind of a thing. Chat room to Wikipedia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Deploy right. the sausages. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The unpaid research staff in the chat room. Uh, we're missing my mom that's who actually looked stuff up for us last time i remember um yeah uh so you are a rad dev uh, like what are you uh working on like well developer wise i, I have uh, a couple projects um obviously you know Pond, which, by the way, is a working title because it collides with this other project by this guy. What's his name, Adam? I don't know, but his his internet handle is Imperial Violet, and he has this project called Pond, which is basically like some uh, um, super secure messaging protocol. But, anyways, I have this project Pond, which is like for synchronizing RSS and Atom feeds. Um, mm. I stopped working on it for a while. 
but I, I think I'm getting back into it. I started doing a heavy refactoring of the of the code base. I have this other project. It's called um, Postage, which is going to basically be a self-hosted email server for the self-hosting self-hosting era for basically ArcOS and such. Uh, ArcOS, by the way, uh, is Jacob Cook's project. Shout out to him. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's. Um, uh, I remember like we were all supporting uh, ArcOS, and then I feel like we were all like when we got like the package from Jacob, we were like doing that internet thing that we do. We snap pictures and show that it came in the mail, and then like I think you like so many of us were like, "This is awesome!" And then I remember like a couple months later, you're going, "Oh yeah, I still haven't tried it out yet." <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I still haven't tried it out. <laughs> I don't. I, I forgot to buy my Raspberry Pi, so I still have like the the case and the the memory card. Yeah, but I, I haven't tried it out yet, actually. Nice. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> he. I don't. I don't. I'm probably not supposed to say, but you know, the people in the chat room are. Everyone knows Jacob. Uh, but last I knew, uh, he was talking about he's working on some sort of music project. And Paul was like, wait, is that the podcast? Because I remember you and Jacob were talking about doing a podcast together as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we were trying to start a pirate radio station of sorts. Ah. <laughs> that would have been fun. I mean, I, I like curating music. So, Yeah. And plus, he likes like shoegaze and stuff, and I like shoegaze. So yeah, it would have been fun. I, I still want to do that, by the way. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So, what? Speaking of music curation, I while I was trying to stalk you for questions today, like <laughs> what what happened to Anomaly? <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know there. <laughs> Oh, it is because not not to embarrass you in front of everyone, but oh, I got right, yeah five hundred two bad gateway. Yeah, damn, I gotta fix that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Uh, I guess my server got rebooted because like um, because reasons. So and I, and I forgot <laughs> to set up like the 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 boot script to to start the. The, the the site as soon as the server boots up so i should get on that sometime <laughs> that's okay it happens to all of us i i was trying to actually i was trying to add our podcast to uh, google's like new system where they're gonna start putting podcasts uh into google, yeah, the google music play store yeah or yeah the google play and, music experience of, of course <laughs> i don't know what that's called yeah <laughs> When I go there, um, it says, hey, uh, we're going to start hosting podcasts soon, but this isn't available in your country, you schmuck. So, <laughs> so I jumped uh-huh. on my my VPN and I was like, now I'm from the States, haha. And I went to the web page and it was like, this isn't for your country. And I was like, what the hell? And so I too had some issues uh-huh. with my... Uh, my server that's uh, sort of doing all the VPN work for me. <laughs> it's called Montreal Sauce, and we said we don't support you, Montreal. 
<laughs> so yeah, I had to do some reboots and stuff the other day unplanned because I was like, ah, I'm not from the States anymore. Huh. What happened yeah. to me? <laughs> oh my God, we had exactly the same problems here. You know, like we can't watch many shows on Netflix because they're only on the American Netflix. We can't like access some YouTube videos exactly because of that same reason. It's kind of annoying, actually. Yeah, I mean, uh, just copyright, like, I understand as a creator of a podcast, I understand the importance of uh, intellectual properties and the like, but we definitely need to figure out a way to catch it up to the new world because it's so ridiculous. Like, it bothers me because we're on the same continent. Like, I can't, I can't, I mean, I've never been to say, like, you know, one of the European Union states, but I'm sure like their content on YouTube works at every EU state, you know, <laughs> like even though they're different countries. I'm like, come on, we have like free trade agreements. Let's just do this. <laughs> but did you hear that the TPP got like, I don't know, they'd get approved because I they were talking about it on the news as I was driving home uh, about the TPP. I don't know, they'd get approved or something or uh, is it just out uh, I think the last I heard on the TPP was that, um, yeah, people were disappointed because it got approved. But I think if I'm correct, it got through like the House and it needs to go through the Senate or vice versa. So it went yeah. through one. Yeah, and- I believe that's correct. It got through it got through one, not through the other yet. Um, but I think it's one of those things where um, – <laughs> because it's a because it's a treaty as opposed to a um as opposed to a law that they would pass uh I'm not sure exactly how like constitutionally we are supposed to approve of that or not because I think the president has if effectively authority to negotiate treaties of that of that type uh but the but Congress has the ability to um strike it down as opposed to they sort of have uh, uh, an ability to to ratify. We should get our lawyer friend back on to talk about this a little bit more. But <laughs> but my understanding is that that it's more like they have to they have to explicitly state that we are not going to abide by this treaty that the president negotiated, as opposed to saying yes, we are passing this as a as a bill of some sort. Now oh, I see. Yeah, that's right. I remember reading something similar that was saying that it is a treaty and it it deals with uh, so many different like facets of like weird stuff like farming and things like that and the trade of. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like all kinds of trades of goods. And then they've dumped this sort of digital stuff in here as well. It's weird. It's not, uh, yeah. It's not unlike uh, NAFTA and and uh, the DMCA had some kind of a mutated baby, um, and <laughs> in treaty form. Right. Um, yeah. So you're uh, working on postage and pond, and those are some kind of uh, personal projects, didn't you? Maybe this is also a bad subject to bring up, but didn't you start, uh, you did someone's uh, weather app for them as well? or <laughs> that's- Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty crazy story. Um, <laughs> I, hope, 
<laughs> I hope this guy's not listening to me. <laughs> But it's yeah, we we sort of had a, like a bad end to our business partnership. But yeah, um, I used to work for uh, this sort of like Portuguese startup, quote unquote, um, <laughs> where what they made was this crowdsourced weather reporting app. So basically, wherever you were, you would just like pop up, like just bring up the app and just like say how the weather is. Ah, uh, so, yeah, so it's like nice waves. outside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Or like, you know, have you, did you ever see those uh, David Lynch videos that he he did on YouTube? Like he just does his daily weather report. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you ever see those? No? No. I, I haven't seen those where my my head immediately goes is uh, George Carlin's Hippy Dippy Weatherman. Oh. Have no, you I ever heard of that those. one? No, no. No, uh, what are those? Uh, George Carlin had it was one of the it was one of the bits that he did, but it was the hippy dippy weatherman, and he uh, it would be like the super obvious things, right? And be like, early in the morning, there it's going to be dark, but with slow <laughs> patches of light showing up, and then eventually following followed by widespread light, <laughs> but he, eventually with patches of dark again. And eventually, fully dark. <laughs> I'm not doing it justice at all, but uh, it's, it, the the original is absolutely hilarious, and I would recommend uh, that you go listen to that after you conclude listening to Montreal Sauce, and then uh, patronize us on Patreon. <laughs> that reminds me tangent. That reminds me of uh, <laughs> Saturday Night Live when uh, Kevin Nealon was on there, and he used to do a segment called News from Ten Feet Away. And so <laughs> while they were doing Saturday Night Live and they were doing the news bit, uh, he would be in the audience 10 feet away from the stage. <laughs> and they'd be like, what's going on there? And he'd be like, well, there's there's a lot of people gathered here and they seem to be in anticipation for something. Like they expect something. Nope. Some of them are laughing now. Some of them are laughing. <laughs> <laughs> There are so many things that are part of American culture, sort of like in the zeitgeist, which I guess uh, I don't get so many of those because, you know, growing up in Mexico versus growing up in America is very mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't get many of the same TV shows. Yeah. It's just kind of mind boggling because you sort of like whip out all of your pop culture references and I only understand half of them. <laughs> <laughs> At least you understand half. <laughs> I don't yeah, think I understand, understand half sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, uh, especially as I get older, um, I don't understand half the pop culture <laughs> references. I'm like, wait, I don't get it. Yeah, I Chris and I, Chris and I crossed uh, the 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 level of overlap in our pop culture references have more to do with where our interests overlap and less to do where we overlap in age. He's not that much older than me and yet he's aware of so much more 80s media whereas i'm much more in the 90s so uh and and unfortunately uh some of the 2000s <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it just it keeps getting worse for some reason like my sister sometimes uh listens to the radio and she's got like all of these pop artists like and singers and stuff like I have no idea who they are, but their music just sounds terrible, and I'm just 
Yeah. <laughs> Not to this anyone, but yeah, it just yeah. keeps getting worse. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, yeah. It just slowly becomes more and more... Um, I I think of pop music as I think of pop, which is that over time it just they just add more sugar and get rid of anything else that has any other flavor but sugar. So um, it like the first time you hear it, your brain is like uh, either puts it in the classification of I love this or I hate this, um, and one way or the other, uh, I'm gonna talk to more people about it, which is how it then spreads. Yeah, I think I think it's like uh, some sort of feedback loop. Like pop culture feeds itself and makes itself go into the direction it wants to go. Yeah. Like with all the award shows and stuff, like there are <laughs> these like sort of like cultural critics and like cultural leaders from their moral thrones judging like bad <laughs> pop music and like oh here's an award for this terrible artist but because like he gets an award then all the girls and stuff are like oh yeah his music is great and so on and then you know it just becomes like the new the new fantastic uh, uh phenomenal musician of the month you know mm-hmm. yeah it's uh yeah, it's so I like how you said it's like this feedback loop because it's so true and it's like whatever works once like will have to work again until it stops working, you know? <laughs> like I've I when I was like listening to some music today as I was working, I, I made a comment about how like country music is so like rock and roll now and pop. Um and it's just I feel like it's sort of like Hollywood movies now. Like everything has gotten to the point where like we, we're broke. We've broke it down to like a formula that works. And so we're just right, going to keep right. spoon feeding you the sugar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're to the point where we consider mm-hmm. lens flares some kind of an innovation. <laughs> <laughs> when everything else in the movie is just pretty standard Hollywood storytelling. That's, hey, very well executed. But – uh, we're going to throw some lens flares on there. Now, <laughs> now, you know, it's unique. I was, uh, I was listening to a talk given by, um, an author that I've recently found, but I haven't read his books yet, <laughs> but, uh, his name is Austin Cleon and he was doing like, I think it was the 2014 or 2013, like opening, uh, presentation for South by Southwest. And, uh, he was saying like how he had actually gotten the chance to like um, tour like industrial light and magic. And they were like, yeah, this is like the mold that we use to make, you know, some sort of something like job of the hut or something, you know, in star Wars. And he said, all he could think of because we live in such a digital world now is like, what's it going to be like in a few years you know, 10 or 15 years when we start talking about the films that are like so popular today, like, what are you going to do? You're going to have like some ancient computer in a museum saying like, this is the CG and how they made it from like, and I was like, that's true. There's like nothing like tangible when you have all these like effects (laughs) and CG. (laughs) See here, the third generation Silicon graphics workstation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Pixar never actually used this model to do anything in Toy Story. <laughs> That's the artifact. 
Yeah, what are those uh, gorgeous, like, supercomputers from, like, the 80s called, the big C ones? Cray? The yeah. Cray supercomputers that had, like, a, yeah. a bench around yeah. them that you could yeah. sit on? Yeah, that's oh. what they're going to... They're going to have like uh, for like the in the museums, like on this computer are the effects for the Batman movie. <laughs> Computers physically look so much cooler in um, in older science fiction movies. Like they, I know they have a they have this crazy look. Uh, it feels both futuristic and retro at the same time just because of, you know, the age of the movie. Um and yet our computers have just become, uh, you know, aluminum uh, boxes with some, like, black outlines and a logo on them. And yeah. that's basically what all of our computers are going to be. They are beautiful vanilla objects. Yes. With, with no character in them. Yes. Yeah, cyberpunk is my favorite type of punk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe that that's explains... A, that's a show title right there. <laughs> Cyberpunk is my favorite type of punk. Maybe that's why that new... Uh, what is it called? The new uh, Microsoft thing that just came out looks so crazy. So they're trying to inspire... <laughs> what What is their... The new Surface uh, book thing that Microsoft came out. It doesn't even like shut like all the oh, way. Yeah, it's like the horrible hinges, like <laughs> yeah. the weird... Hinge system, yeah. Oh my god, I'm sitting on these like faux leather couches, and I'm afraid to move because it might <laughs> might sound like I'm farting. <laughs> That's awesome. That's okay. Good. That's all right. Yeah, yeah Jonathan. Cup. Jonathan in the chat room says that it's a big problem with uh, famous compositions that use tapes, things that use like basically electronics to make uh, to make the sound effects. Um, and it reminds me of, uh, there's a pretty good documentary or there's, there's a pretty good like extras from one of the recent seasons of Doctor Who where they once again kind of updated the theme song to Doctor Who, but we needed to go back and, and, uh, recreate some of the sound effects, um, to, to fill that in. And the original theme song to Doctor Who was one of the first, um, completely artificially generated, um, theme songs for television um and it was done in uh in one of uh one of london's kind of premier sort of legendary sound studios and uh they talk about the same thing like we had to figure out because we didn't really know precisely how it, the original was made so we had to kind of figure out how to reproduce these same kinds of noises so that it would be reminiscent of this original uh very uh uh I can't can't think of the word. See, my sometimes I have bad English days too, and it's the only the only the only language I have, Arturo. Very uh very kitsch, maybe. Yeah, kitsch. I was gonna say iconic is what I was kind of going for. Oh, okay. Like it's this everybody who watches Doctor Who knows sort of these these sound effects, or at least people who watched those really early episodes of Doctor Who. And again, this is. Uh, you know, this is more media. It's not even American media. It's a uh, British media, but it's, uh, from the sixties and seventies and eighties. And it had this very, uh, electronic, very unique kind of a feel. Uh, and it was, and it was iconic of, uh, of that show when you heard those sound effects, uh, 
you knew what show that belonged with. Oh, wow. How cool. That sort of reminds me like the, the soundtrack to um, A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Yeah, where it's just... Um, what is it? Is it was it is it Beethoven or is it is it Bach or is it Beethoven? Can't remember. But uh, it's basically just a reinterpretation of Baroque music with synthesizers, and it's great. I mm-hmm. love it. I love that soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, cyberpunk. Uh, that's cool. Have you read a lot of cyberpunk books? No, <laughs> I've actually never read a cyberpunk book. Yeah, I, I have to. Uh, I want to read uh, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" Ah, but, uh, yes. Yeah, but as far as movies go, um, you know, I've I've uh, seen Tron, obviously, which I don't know if you could uh, categorize as cyberpunk, but I guess you could. <laughs> yeah, um, I've seen. We um, can retcon that as cyberpunk. <laughs> I've seen um, Blade Runner, which is great. It's one of my favorite yeah. movies. Yeah. And in more uh, recent times, I've seen The Matrix. I saw it uh, when it came out in theaters, which was a pretty scary experience because I was super young. But it was cool. It was okay. Um, yeah. I just, I like, you know, I like cyberpunk video games and, and stuff. Like uh, this this card game, this great card game, uh, Android Netrunner. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, one of our guests is uh, that we had a while back. Uh, actually, he was on uh, Cupcake as well. Tone Deaf. Uh, he was really big. He's still big into that game. Oh yeah, have, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah he, he was posting some cards earlier. Yeah, well, yeah. that game's great. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. Um, uh, yeah, maybe that's our next podcast is we start like a card game podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I swear this is the card I have. I'm playing it. I swear. <laughs> We'd have to get play, webcams. Do you play lots of board games? I do enjoy board games and I think I would enjoy some of those other uh, card games, but um it's really hard since I've moved to Canada. I lack like sort of like mm-hmm. the uh, friends and the network to do this thing. And it's all of my own doing, right? I can go out and be social, but instead I sit here in front of a microphone. <laughs> um, yeah. In the chat room, uh, B&B said, which I was thinking immediately too, when I asked you what you've read um, is uh, Neil Stephenson's Snow Crash, which is an awesome cyberpunk book. No, I've I've never read it. I should probably get it too. Yeah, it's really sweet, and uh, it's um, it's interesting because I read it after I read uh, what's that big? Oh, uh, Ready Player One, which everyone uh, loves. Yeah, and it's it's a very kind of a similar world, I would say. But um, but yeah, another cyberpunk. I got like free in like a sci-fi bundle of eBooks once uh, that I read is. Uh, Neuromancer by William Gibson. That mm-hmm. was really good. Um, yeah, these sort of like uh, you you go into the world of the computer and things like that. I always find those kind of interesting. Cool. Yeah, I should get that one as well. Yeah, I, I heard great things about Neuromancer. Sort of like one of the main pillars of cyberpunk. But no, I, I mean, as far as books go, I'm... Uh, 
I had like this huge beat phase where I read tons <laughs> of beat literature. Um, but I mean, other than that, I guess I've read, you know, just, uh, I don't know what, I guess what every average American kid reads, which is strange because I'm not American, <laughs> but, um, stuff like Kurt Vonnegut and like, uh, a little bit of Ayn Rand and, uh, mm. you know, the beats, the catcher in the rye, which I hate by the way. Mm. <laughs> I know. Mm -hmm. I remember we talked about that there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That, that book makes me feel like I'm, I don't know. It's, it just feels like a conversation with someone really stupid for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I absolutely loved it, but uh, it was when I was younger and I hated reading and all that. And so, like, I sort of, like, I really started to, like, oh, I get this character because... He's similar to me because I was in those like angry teenage years and that's when I read it. So I really identified with the book. And then um, then, you know, I I think like in university I had to do like a research paper and we were supposed to like it was an English class. And we were so we were supposed to research. I love it. The teacher had us research. The professor had us research um, serial killers or killers in general. Because she said they're always interesting characters. So do a research paper on them and you'll kind of learn like different things about characters and you'll come up with ways to like create your own characters. <laughs> and so I did John David or yeah, Mark David Chapman, the guy who shot John Lennon. And of course, everywhere he went, he had the catcher in the rye in his pocket. And I was like, well, that's not creepy at all. <laughs> after that i was like do i tell people because then i started reading like that book does have a history of showing up at the like worst locations ever <laughs> but yeah. yeah i guess it's i guess it's the age that i read it at you know so uh, maybe maybe i don't know who said this to me but maybe it's like the equivalent of um the perks of being a wallflower, you know, like, like the catcher in the rye, you're supposed to read it when you're, I don't know, like 13 or 11. Mm. And then the perks of being a wallflower when you're like 17 or 18. And then like, if you read any of those or like watch the movie, uh, any time later, then it just feels stupid because you've grown out of that face. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe that's, yeah. maybe that's what the merit is, you know, maybe that's what, uh, what uh, J.D. Salinger did right, you know, like he was able to to get into the mind of this 13-year-old kid and then like make it feel so authentic that 13-year-olds sure. like get identified with a character. But then if you read it when you're older, then you're just like, no, that's just stupid. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I feel like like we have like all these like classics, like you have to read x and y and z like i'm so cultured i know examples <laughs> uh no but you, you know like you have to read moby dick and you have to read all these like classics i feel like uh we've been on this earth enough time where like some of these things are sort of falling out now like um i think when we our last week we did film frown and we were talking about like bugs bunny cartoons like they were such like a staple in growing up, even for me mm -hmm. in like the seventies and eighties. And those cartoons were, you know, 20, 30 years old then. And I was just like, 
quizzing our guest because I was like, have you seen them? And he's like, yeah, they used to be on like late night on the Cartoon Network or something. And like, I think like some of these sort of like classics, we have so much media now, especially the way we produce it today that I feel like it's just sort of, you know, some of that stuff is falling by the wayside, which may be good and bad. I don't know. I was I was having a conversation about this. Um, I have this. Uh, I'm, what am I about? What I'm about to say is um, incredibly pretentious. <laughs> so I have this, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want it to sound pretentious because it's not. But I have like this sort of a uh, reading group, this Heidegger and uh, Sartre reading group, um, and um, I was having this conversation with one of the guys there about this and like how. You, um, art critics and media critics are like this sort of like um, moral, morally superior uh, beings, you know, in, in this society and culture in that um, they try to dictate, you know, what's good and what's bad art. But really, you can't do a judgment about art, you know, if it's good or bad or if it or if it is or isn't art um, and not be a fascist. You know, like if you're trying to decide what's better than than something else, that's mm. just fascism. Mm. You know, uh, you can't morally judge art. You know, because everyone has a, a different experience of art. Um, so really, just uh, saying that things are a classic and that you must read them because they are classics, uh, it's just sort of like fascist discourse in a way. So yeah, I, I just I just disagree with the, with the whole notion of the art critic. You know, which I mean. You can't just take uh, an art critic's opinion and and um, just consider it for for your own criteria, but really it's just his opinion. You know, no, nobody gets to decide what's good and what's bad in art. Basically, is what I think. Yeah, I think uh, I don't want to like discount like everything like someone who is like studied in an art thinks or says, but. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think maybe there's not like a need, but I'm glad that they exist, like someone who will take the time to analyze art. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm kind of in a weird balancing line here because I totally get what you're saying and it makes total sense. But back in uh, the Grand Rapids area where I previously lived, where <laughs> Paul is near – they do like um uh what is it called art prize, art prize. They, yeah they do art prize and so you go in the it, same place that i was that i was gonna go um yeah yeah art prize uh actually just concluded uh a week or two ago as this is recorded which is early november uh welcome to 2016 when this is actually released um <laughs> hi um happy new year uh we have floating cars now (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) everything actually came true in back to the future it's just a couple months late um (laughs) jaw 17 was great uh so we (laughs) there's some some more references for you arturo i'm sorry um yeah so art prize just wrapped up i went on like 17 tangents there um (laughs) and uh, along with it came out all of the varied articles from people saying, you know, 
I mean, Art Prize, I suppose, is sort of developing this reputation as being sort of a bland ho hum um, in the in the art in the world of art snobbery. It's this it's this bland ho hum. The winner is always some kind of a religious and or patriotic uh, tribute. Um, it doesn't really ever say anything controversial, which I think the um, the 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 world of uh high art and high fashion uh kind of want always want art to be something controversial as opposed to or you know tr- be speaking something to the culture that the culture doesn't maybe doesn't want to hear or be yeah being countercultural in some sense and that has to do with what makes it what makes it good art because it's saying something that, you know, you have to put yourself out there to say. You're not just saying something that the crowd wants to hear. And that is the that's the common um, the common complaint with Art Prize is that because it's just the people and really it's mostly the people of Grand Rapids because not a lot of people travel here to come see Art Prize. I'm sure a lot of people do, but for the most part, it's the population of Grand Rapids walking around the city of Grand Rapids looking at art that mostly artists from around Grand Rapids have submitted. Uh, and it's understandably, because this is a very conservative area, mostly uh, patriotic and or religious art. And something that is patriotic or religious almost always wins. And uh, it's not... It's not necessarily a revolution. I don't think that necessarily means it's a bad thing because not everything in Art Prize. There are certainly things that in Art Prize that I feel um, meet even the most art snobbish snobs definition of countercultural, interesting, possibly controversial art. Those just aren't the things that ever win Art Prize because the people who are coming and seeing this art aren't used to that and they're not here to be uh to be art critical from that same mindset um they're gonna vote for the thing they like they're gonna vote for the pretty flower they're not gonna vote they're not gonna vote for uh the pretty flower that was made out of poop and is hanging in a jar so um (laughs) that's just that's uh, it's Hey, I don't know. I I have the I sort of have the same opinion as you um in that what defines art is kind of different to everybody. It's something that we certainly learned in our in our media courses is that um the reason people make art is different and so you can't necessarily define an artist by whether or not you like what they did. Um, you can't call what they did art based on whether or not you like it because it they didn't make it generally with the purpose of did you like it or not. A lot of artists make things to try to get other people to feel or learn things, um, but a lot of artists just make things because they like to make things and they're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to produce because that's what they're driven to do, so... I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I went on a super long rant there. I'll no, I'll, no, uh, it's I'll let it go now. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's okay. Um, I li- I liked your rant. Um, okay. Yeah. Like my my main problem with 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 judging art is believing that there is a, an absolute moral scale of values, and um, you know that art can be judged 
according to that absolute scale. So, you know, like art contests and such. So having having judges judge art, you know, that art prize is a perfect example of how these art contests are just reflections of the values of the people who are judging the art. So mm-hmm. you have super conservative judges and obviously um, the countercultural and sort of quote unquote edgy art is not going to win. So yeah, that's, that's my main problem. And then on the other hand, what I think is that it doesn't matter based on this, uh, on these discussions that we've having, that we've been having about, you know, Heidegger and so on. It's, it doesn't matter like what, what the artist is intending to do with their work uh, is basically just it, what what matters is what you as a as an observer have uh, with with the art you know mm-hmm. like the, the experience so I mean like I might make a painting trying to make you feel something but in the end it doesn't matter because obviously everybody's gonna have different feelings or maybe not at all yes yeah yeah you carry your own experiences into that observation so you know you don't if you don't have the same references as the artist you may not even understand what the painting is about but at the same time if the artist doesn't have some reference and they accidentally they accidentally paint something that you see very differently um a schooner is a sailboat it's kind of like well that's weird (laughs) um you know and the artist would be like i didn't even intend for you to see that Maybe it's great that you saw it. Maybe it's terrible that you saw it. But one way or the other that, you know, what the artist's intent and what the observer takes away from it uh, is often very different things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and then, you know, it, I have my own personal problem with this. I mean, like what I just said is like my point of view coming from from this sort of like phenomenology perspective. But my own personal problem with with art right now is that you have a ton of artists doing many different things. And then, you know, if you for some reason don't like one of their works and you just say, well, no, I don't like it, then immediately what that does is that um, that means that you're not you're not smart enough to understand the work, you know, like like like, yeah, sure. There is this sort of like snobbish, like culture surrounding modern art, like you know, but, but it's not, you know, I, I don't, I just don't like that, that piece of work, you know, that doesn't make me stupid or anything. It doesn't mean I don't get the work. It just means I don't like it. Yeah, I, I totally get that. And it's, yeah, it's one of those things where like, you know, I feel like you go into like a gallery or something and you walk, like I will, I will walk around and go to the pieces that I find interesting and that's just how I do it. Like I'm not one of these people who are going to like walk up to like every piece and examine it from every angle. I'm going to look at the ones that I like. (laughs) It's, it's really simple. Like that appealed to me and my experiences, you know? So yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with just like having a completely aesthetic experience of art, you know, like just uh, appreciating what, what appeals to you and then ignoring everything else. Like there's nothing wrong with that in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, uh, I feel the same way about, um, <laughs> too. but when you said snobbish, it made me think like, 
I've never ever been, and no offense to people, but I've never been appreciative of wine. I don't really enjoy wine. <laughs> and I feel like when I tell people that, that there is that sort of snobbish attitude, well, like you're not sophisticated enough to uh, learn how to enjoy it. I'm like, no, I just don't like it. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's exactly the sort of attitude that I don't like. You know, well, no, I just don't like wine. It's not that I'm not sophisticated <laughs> enough, you know? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, but you with uh, back to books, like I noticed on your webpage, like you had a couple of uh, Camus books. I was like, wow, because I, I had to I think my problem with Camus is I, I really liked um, a lot of quotes that I saw like of his. And I was like, wow, this guy is really on it. And then. I took a class where I had to read one of his books and I got all excited and I don't remember what book it was because I didn't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am I I like Camus has been very influential to me because I read him at a time when I was having this uh really uh deep existential crisis, like a literal existential crisis. Mm. And uh you know, just reading Camus made it worse. <laughs> yeah but, uh, yeah i mean yeah his process it can be uh boring sometimes it's very terse very um detailed prose about tiny things that happen to every single character mm -hmm. almost like flower but not to that extent so yeah but i mean like it made it worse like my crisis but then it also made me like just look at things in a different light because of his um, absurdism. Like, it doesn't even matter, you know? Like, we don't know why we're here or, like, what we're doing here, but it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter anyway because, like, what matters is that we're just existing here. Hey, so you've reached the end of part one with Arturo Vergara. We think we are saying that right, uh, and we apologize, Arturo, uh, if we're saying it totally incorrectly. Uh, you are, after all, the chief sausage, so we should figure out how to say your last name correctly, and hopefully we're getting it close. Anyway, uh, hi. You can uh, just stay tuned, and part two should be coming out in about a week or so. Uh, you know how I am with the timely releases. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, you can follow uh, Chris at SickDays, S-I-K-K-D-A-Y-S, or head to SickDays.me. Uh, you can follow uh, myself at Paul D on Twitter, or you can hit up uh, padizio.com, P-A-D-I-Z-I-O.com. And uh, you can also follow Arturo at ArturoVM. Uh, I'm going to try to spell it. A-R-T-U-R-O-V-M. I did that totally by memory. So, uh, you know, you might, you might have to experiment. Um, but otherwise, you could also head to MontrealSauce.com. Uh, and you will find this post along with direct links to Arturo and uh, all of his various uh, places that he exists online. Every single one of them. We've done comprehensive research. So uh, we will talk to you next time. All right. Bye. <laughs>